1: and now joe and pat present sports talks person of the day a brilliant final round for Francesco medinari of italy two under 69 bogey free and italy might have its name on the claret jug he doesn't hold it john daly will be the champion Look at this. Quite extraordinary.
2: All right, the first one was uh, Francisco uh, Molinari became a, becoming the first Italian golfer yesterday to win a major championship, a Grant's uh, major championship, and the other one was from 1995 when. His guy, the first great golfer to come from Italy, Constantino Rocco, uh, was playing John Daly down the stretch of the uh, British Open, 1995. He needed uh, to get up. He, he dubbed a chip, okay? He dubbed a chip. You guys, before your time, right? He okay. dubbed the chip left himself a 65-foot putt that he had to make to get into a playoff with Daly after dubbing this little chip. He made it. And uh, that was a rather low-key reaction from the Great Britain announcer. It wasn't as low-key on television here. And he went through one of the greatest celebrations ever, including laying down out there, pretending as if he fainted. And then Daly ended up beating him in the four four hole playoff afterwards. So he didn't get his championship. But uh, later that year he was playing with Europe for the uh, in the Ryder Cup at Oak Hill, and I was out there in Rochester and I was and we we talked to Bob Herrig earlier and I was saying Herrig that I was out there watching Lehman play by Asteris in the singles on Sunday and Rocco Roca was off on a that would have been on the fifth hole, and on the sixth hole, Roca was kind of elevated over there, and he knocked it in the hole and made a one. That was my recollection. I looked it up. I was right. You were he right. All one. right, he did make a one. But Constantina <laughs> Roca uh, Molinari, really uh, interesting uh, cat, uh, comes from Turin in Italy, and his brother Eduardo, a year older than him, kind of his role model. They they went through the their careers pretty much even uh and then uh, Francesco uh more recently just started to rip it up and uh Eduardo meanwhile is on the uh European tour and not uh, doing too well cuz he's had a lot of injuries and he I looked it up the only the only time he made the cut this year uh, Eduardo was uh in a tournament in which uh Francisco was the winner, the BMW championship, his Mm -hmm. brother. But uh, Molinari just uh, hits it straight and uh, started to make some putts and is uh, fantastic. And uh, he's, uh, you know, I kind of liked him yesterday watching. I watched most of it, and even when Tiger got ahead, I just, you, you just saw that he wasn't as rattled as everybody else. He wasn't hitting it in bad places like the rest of them. And he made mm-hmm. nothing but pars. He made, uh, you know, he made a couple of birdies, but he uh, basically didn't make a bogey the last two days, which is fantastic when That's you consider the way the wind was blowing yesterday. Uh, made made a couple of eight, eight to 10 foot putts to save par on the backside and to win it. But, uh, they gotta be having a party in Italy. He had the great quote afterwards. I, I mentioned this to uh, Jill. They were the press was saying, Well, and golf on the front pages in uh of the sports in in uh, Italy. You're the big story in Italy. And he said, I don't know, did Ferrari win today? Meaning <laughs> in the Grand Prix racing. Well, especially for him, yeah. uh, you know, uh, did did Ferrari win today. So uh he's uh, he seems to be a good natured guy. And a very, he's been a great player. He was part of the uh reason they won a war, the World Cup uh a couple of years ago, not this last one, but not the one here, but uh, one of them before uh, one before that. He was a he was a very good player in there. But Constantino Roca uh also is is part of this and this week at St. Andrews where Daly and Roca had their big shootout in 23 years ago, is the senior British Open, mm. and they're both in the field, Roca and Daly. And if yeah. they have any sense of humor, they'll put them in the same group. Why right?
1: not, right. Now, uh, remind me, was is the is the purse decent for the British one compared to the others, or is it more? Uh, I, f- I 1. forgot 1. to look.
2: 1.85. That's not bad. No, <laughs> he, was, good. he was okay. Yeah, 1.8, yeah. They, you don't get away with... Uh, at 61, Constantino Roca uh, remains a cheerful character who played in two Ryder Cups... Beating no less than Tiger Woods in the 1997 singles at Valderrama, I was there too. Just 18 months after capturing the biggest title of his career, the PGA Championship, uh, he's uh, uh, you know he's he, he did a little uh, pre-tournament thing at the uh, RNA, uh, the St Andrews, and they uh, they love him uh roca famously collapsed on the ground banging his clenched fist on the turf in exultation after he made the uh, 65 footer uh there is an old sporting expression that no one who comes in second uh roca said no one comes in second is remembered Except Jean Van de Velde and <laughs> team, who uh, of course uh, had the thing. But anyway, it'll be fun uh, seeing those two guys. And right now, uh, neither of them is probably a threat to win uh, at the the Senior Open. I don't know how big John is doing playing, but uh, anyway, it was a that was a great moment in golf, and this is a great moment in golf certainly for to have an Italian. Uh, win the uh, win, a, win a major tournament. Uh, Francisco Molinari played great, played better than everyone else, and deserved to win this uh, British Open for sure.
1: You're on the ride with Royce. I try to be as cynical as
3: any other writer, and no one
1: to be at your level, but I'm trying. On fifteen hundred, ESPN. Tell, we need some quarterbacks coming in here. Well, we got one. Uh, Vic Veramonte.
2: <laughs> I saw Topper, by the way, at the ballpark after that. I oh, yeah. said, uh, thank you for that cheap shot. We'll be hearing that around here for about the next six months. So, okay. <laughs> Uh, Andy greater St. Paul Pioneer Press, was uh, covering the first day of Big Ten media today. Uh, PJ got on the uh, on the podium there about one o'clock. I thought by his standards he was somewhat restrained.
3: Yeah, I felt I felt uh, the same way. I mean, his opening statement was only about three minutes. I think that he he kind of realized that he only had fifteen up there, and most of it was question and answer. So yeah, it was. Uh, it was not quite uh, the jolt that it was last year, where he started at eight a.m. and and got a lot of sleepy uh, sports writers woken up pretty quickly.
2: And last year, uh, what was it? He, he just went on and on, and somebody somebody counted up the number of words he'd said in his opening statement and things like that. He was yeah. uh, he uh, he got he noticed despite the fact that he tries to act like this stuff doesn't bother him. He gets he notices when he gets agitated uh, when he gets poked.
3: Well, when he when he was up there today, he mentioned directly that somebody counted mm-hmm. his words last year. So yeah, he he brought it up uh, brought it up this year as well. But yeah, I mean he, he was referred to as you know a shot of Red Bull, and, <laughs> and he mentioned the, the word count, and and I know that there was one uh, one reporter that you uh, you mentioned that kind of called him out as well. Uh, I forget where that was from, but uh,
2: guy from Pennsylvania. Okay, yeah, well, my yeah. hero. <laughs> but anyway, um, I can't remember his name, but.
3: Um, Sure, you know what's sure, yeah.
2: amazing, Andy, though, listening to it, and I listened to him and Harbaugh and a couple other guys, the questions are not being asked by newspaper guys. They're being asked by, you know, you got in a question, and uh, yeah. you can get a couple of questions in, but the uh, the blogosphere is dominating this thing now.
3: Yeah, what was amazing to me is, is Harbaugh, uh, there was a uh, question uh, from a Michigan State yes. blogger, and, uh, you know, you kind of went down through what, uh, Harbaugh's finishes were in the Big Ten mm-hmm. and what he needs to do to, you know, get wins against Michigan State and Ohio State and mentioned his, his poor record against them and, and Harbaugh just said something about, you know, it's, Yeah. Trust the process or whatever. Just like a four, four word answer. (laughs) And the blogger was sitting behind me, like a row behind me. And he goes, good
2: answer coach.
3: (laughs) kind of yells. He didn't have the microphone. Well, well.
2: He was obviously trying Michigan state guy, right? He was obviously trying to agitate him and, uh, and I, he might've successfully agitated him, but you're not going to get Harbaugh to tell you anything. He doesn't want to tell you.
3: No, definitely not. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the majority Mm -hmm. of those people in this uh, day and age. And it's, it's uh it's unfortunate but that's where we're at
2: so what uh i mean uh, now you get the coach he's only he only does like 15 minutes do you then get access to these guys longer
3: yeah so they'll, they'll go up on the podium and that's what you'll see on btn and then they'll exit the room and stand in front of a backdrop and you'll get 10 more minutes there and then later on in the day you know pj uh, is up at the front of a podium it's another small group thing and he he spoke for another hour there and then The three players they bought, uh, Thomas, uh, Thomas Barber and Carter Coughlin and Rodney Smith, those guys are up for about an hour as well. So there's, there's plenty of access and, you know, it's a similar kind of thing where you gotta really fight and claw to get questions in at those things as well.
2: You know the uh, Barber family has maybe become the first family of uh, Minnesota football. Uh, historically, it's amazing. Uh, you know, Marion Senior or uh, Marion the Second Junior uh, was uh, a fantastic player, a fantastic guy. Uh, you know, and of course his son Marion, a great running back, and now Dominic, nice. and now and now this kid. It's it's incredible.
3: Yeah, yeah. Thomas was named to the Buckus watch list this morning for top. Linebacker in the nation, he uh, led the Big Ten and and solo tackles last year. And I was asking him about his uh, his upbringing and kind of what it was like with his dad and how much he coached him. And he said that his youth teams were coached by his dad um, and then Daryl Thompson and randomly Scott Laus. So those
1: really, yeah. So those <laughs> Scott
3: Laus
2: was his baseball coach, huh? Yeah,
3: <laughs> those were his those were his youth coaches coming up. So pretty remarkable. And I. And I asked him when he kind of realized, you know, that, uh, he was part of this family that had all this Mm. success. And he said for a long time, he just thought it was normal. He just Mm. thought that, you know, you go on and, and you, uh, you play the U and, and you go to the NFL. And, uh, you, you know, that's, that's what he, that's what he knew and that's what he grew up with. He just figured that that was, that was normal, but now he realizes that uh, it's far from normal.
2: And uh, what what is interesting to me, having known Marion when he played with the Gophers and was a great Gopher in the seventies, I don't think he's the kind of guy that pounded him into him that they had to be football players. Or anything. I think it's just something they came to naturally because he's not uh, he's not a real far, fiery, over the top guy unless he's really changed a lot.
3: No, and and that's the way Thomas is too. He's very quiet, very reserved. I did a story about him last year. He was also a, a hockey player and kind of a third-line enforcer, and he would, you know, just knock people off their skates. And everyone <laughs> in the everyone in the rink would just watch, have, have their jaw drop, and t- Thomas would be like, "Oh, I'm sorry. Did I hurt you?" And like go and like pick him up off the ice. So he's a, he's a gentle giant.
2: So the uh, new red shirt rule yeah. is uh, an amazing change and that you can play a kid right. in four games. Yeah. So you can basically use the non-conference to try him out, right? <laughs> Whether you want them to be players or not. But I wonder, is this long term going to... Uh, because it would then... if you play a bunch of red shirts to give them five years... You know, because most teams are playing, what, six or seven freshmen and blowing their red shirt? You're going to have six or seven less scholarships to give out. Is this going to lead to running more guys off, do you think, maybe? Uh, That's a good question. I think that we're going to find all that out. Yes, down the road.
3: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how people use it as well. I mean, do you want to save the... The four games for after the non-conference schedule, after they get acclimated, yeah, after right. they find That's out the, true. Yeah. the pace of play, those kinds of things. And, you know, P.J. was at the podium for an hour, and 55 minutes into it, he said, oh, you know, we possibly might use uh, Shannon Brooks for this rule. And, you know, he's been ruled out for the 2018 season before spring yeah. ball. So I mean that's that's really intriguing. That's what my story is going to be about tomorrow. Is so so he was, did he never
2: redshirted. He played as a freshman. Correct. So correct. so yeah. they could he could come back late at the end of the season and still be eligible. That is interesting. That's, yeah. that's something I never thought of. So
3: yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he played as a as the true freshman out of Georgia, so he still got the. The, uh, the red shirt in the pocket. So, no, yeah. And this
2: isn't just for incoming guys. If what, But you if you blew your red shirt previously, you blew your red shirt, right?
3: Yeah, exactly. Like Rodney Smith, who yeah. came from Georgia and played uh, red shirt in his first year, if he would have hurt his you know knee or whatever last spring, this wouldn't have been able to apply for him. He would have been able to take a medical red shirt and gone about it that way, but then he would have missed the entire year. So, yeah, I mean, it's... It's a it's a game changer, and especially for the Gophers, who are as young as they are, this is uh, this is a huge uh, positive news for them. Hey, is
2: uh, uh, Andy Greeters with us from the Pioneer Press? Is the traveling squad still like sixty or something? So they it it will be harder to use red shirts in road games, uh, kind of a deal or what? Yeah, if you, if you just want to experiment with it, you know. Yeah, that's
3: that's another good point. I think it's at seventy for, okay. for Big Ten games. So yeah, I mean that that'll keep uh, that'll keep it uh, difficult as well for for when you're going to use it. What times uh, are the best times to use it? It doesn't sound like it has to be consecutive. So you know, it could be all home games. You know, to kind of be able to cut their teeth. But I'd imagine that the Gophers, in, in addition to using some of these uh, four game allotments, uh, will just burn red shirts entirely because they just need it.
2: Yeah, but it will be interesting. Okay, let's say you played nine, ten games, and you're not going anywhere. And you, these guys have already played their four games. You might, you might say, uh, you know, even if they're, if they're, if they've been effective to some point, you might say, ah, out of heck with it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, not play them these last two games and get another year out of them. Right. Yeah. It'll be all kinds of, it is a very interesting, it is a very interesting rule, whether it's going to cause more transfers, more guys getting run off, how you use a roster. You're going to have to have a roster guy to decide whether you're going to use guys or not. It's going to be another assistant coach. Yeah. Right.
3: It's going to be interesting to see it evolve and see what works the first year, what works the next year, who has a lot of success with it, who ends up getting burned by it or, you know, failing with it. So yeah, it's, it's uh, it's a game changer,
2: Andy. What is a PJ Fleck offense? What does he want it to be? Does he want it to be a running quarterback? Who you know the the uh, which is basically what Jerry Kill wanted and never you know. But what what is his offense? Do we know?
3: Yeah, he wants to do things called run pass options. So he'll have uh, a running action with the quarterback, and the quarterback will be. Reading, you know, either the defensive end or the outside linebacker. And based on what the outside linebacker does, he'll either give it to the running back, take it himself. And then maybe he gets out, the quarterback gets out to the edge. Let's say he keeps it and that outside linebacker is coming downhill to stop him. He'll throw it over the top. So it's a run pass option offense that has multiple variables. And that's what, you know, was part of the reason why they struggled as much last year because they didn't feel like they had the right guys to be able to do that. So yeah that's that's one thing that they want to be able do to do they
2: do they uh do they drop him into the pocket a certain percentage of the time too then or what what, what yeah, are we doing i
3: mean he he tries to he tries to be balanced i mean that's that's one of the bread and butter things that they they try to do but yeah he wants to have as much balance as possible so yeah he wants to be around you know 50 percent um run and, and pass and and then have the run pass options within that so i mean we don't Know exactly what that's going to be because they were so limited last year. I mean, we talked last fall, you know, in the last couple of games against Northwestern and Wisconsin, and they didn't even try to throw the ball. Yeah. You know, so we're not exactly sure what we're going to get yet at this point.
2: Have we seen a lobby yet to try to explain the horrendous uh, nature of uh, Illinois footballers at tomorrow? <laughs> uh,
3: that is, that is tomorrow. Um, but yeah, they, they really uh, have scraped the bottom, haven't they? I think. Uh, Teddy Greenstein had a piece in the Chicago Tribune, I don't remember exactly what the number was, but uh, they said uh, they had the most or close to the most true freshman play, and he gave a lot of those guys a lot of starts. Um, So they're trying to rely on recruiting classes, and Lovey's been throwing them into the mix. So it sounds like he's got some time there. Um, He's with the AD that hired him, so I don't think that his, his job's in jeopardy. Uh, at least not right now. But, yeah, it's it's a rough patch. I know that there's a Cleveland.com poll that I'll – the big 10 beat writers are a part of and everyone picked illinois to finish last in
2: the last hey uh andy uh i've always had a theory if you're really young and bad there's a chance you're going to be really experienced and bad too uh, you know, <laughs> just youth does yeah. not guarantee success uh if you're if unless the youth is accomplishing something you're not it doesn't guarantee success that's my theory
3: Right, right. But it's either, you know, play the old guys that aren't any yeah. really good or play the young guys that you hope that they're good or hope that they can get good, you know? I mean, that's.
2: This that's uh, this gives there. him, a, that red shirt, though, gives him a chance to play, uh, use those uh, two big fellas from IMG and see if they can play, too, right? Yeah,
3: absolutely. I asked them, you know, if, and those two guys I know were candidates to, to lose weight, and sounds like they both have, uh, you know, shed about 20 pounds a piece. So one's at. About 400 ones at about 350, and that's with 20 pounds lost on each of them. So, you know they they like those guys, but yeah, those guys would be prime candidates to see if if they're able to to hang in the Big Ten and if they're able to play and and then pull the red right shirt entirely. So we'll uh, we'll see. It'll be something that follows this season in its
2: entirety. Well, uh, work on your maturity, will you, sir? It's it's the race to maturity. Okay, I got to I got to get going. <laughs> you, I, you go. <laughs> I mean, I'm not talking about that team. I think you could use a little maturity yourself. I
3: I know. I I really got to grow up. <laughs> okay. Absolutely. All, all right, right, sir.
2: Thanks a lot. Thank all, you. Goodbye. Uh, Andy Greeter from the Pioneer Press.
1: You're along to the ride with Royce. If you're actually listening to this, you need to look in your mirror and uh, <laughs> yeah. give your life some thought. <laughs> it's time to reevaluate. On 1500 ESPN. Here is Johnny Height with a sports update. Thank you, Patrick. This update is sponsored by Concordia University. Get on track to a successful business career with Concordia University St. Paul. Learn online or on campus. Learn more about their business degrees at online.csp.edu. The Hennepin County Medical Examiner's Office confirming today that Vikings offensive line coach Tony Sperano died of arteriosclerotic heart disease. Oof. He died at his home yesterday. He was just 56 years old. Uh, he joined well, the Vikings.
2: Yeah. Must not have been checked for that though when he went in Thursday.
1: Then, well, huh? if you go in for chest pains, I would assume if yeah. they don't check for that, then you probably mm-hmm. are in a bad hospital.
2: But arteriosclerosis. Uh, or sclerosis, or sclerosis, may means what? There's means you uh, have blockage in your blockage. arteries.
1: Yes. yes, yes.
2: I gotta think the Vikings are going to good doctors. So.
1: You would assume. You know, what that. would he have seen? A team doctor? I don't have no. Not idea that I'm trying to indict no, anybody. He I just went to a hospital. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, did I say he went to a hospital yesterday. Uh, He joined the Vikings back in 2016 as offensive line coach, of course, had extensive uh, coaching experience. He was head coach of the Dolphins from 2008 to 2011, interim head coach of the Raiders in 2014.
2: And he leaves this veil of tears having had his name misspelled more than anybody in the history of Uh, uh, of, uh, athletics because, of course... Unfortunately for him, the bad guy in, um, was uh, named Tony
1: Soprano, and we all assumed that's the way it was. Yeah, it was very hard first reading the story this afternoon. <laughs> I would say his name Soprano the first time, but every time I got the second time, I had to stop because I thought Soprano.
2: Well, we were talking song. earlier, man. Offensive linemen and their players are a mm-hmm. different breed of cat, man. Mm-hmm. I wonder if Ticey's, uh, you know, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but, you know, Ticey and Zim had hit it off, don't you think? Bring him back? Yeah. Why why not? not? They both
1: like that colorful language. We know that. Yes, they do. They do.
2: He was a very good offensive line coach.
1: Yeah. Twins now in Toronto after losing three straight against the Royals over the weekend. Adiberto Mejia pitches for the Twins tonight against young righty Luis (laughs) Santos. I just thought of something, though. Uh
2: Brzezinski's still out there. He got no
1: chance. Tice? Yeah. How are you and Ticey? you and Ticey? Oh, Oh, Ticey and I I love each other. Yeah. Hmm. Is he without work at the moment? Yeah, he Thanks. got fired. And, he got gassed uh, by the Raiders. Yeah, when uh, they brought in Gruden, that makes sense. Yeah, okay. How about you and Brzezinski?
2: I don't <laughs> see much of him since he <laughs> took exception to my hysterical laughter sure, sure. forty-one dollars. Sure, sure.
1: <laughs> that was a long time ago. <laughs> I Pat. know, but
2: but it's unforgettable, Johnny.
1: <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs>
2: One of the five greatest moments of my sports writing career.
1: I certainly don't blame you as a backer fan. Shut up, Joe.
2: I mean, at that point, it becomes outrageously humorous. Mm -hmm. I think by the time it was 24
1: to nothing, Giants in like the first two minutes of the second quarter, it was pretty, pretty. (laughs) Yeah, on a much grander stage. I blame Seifert. Why? (laughs)
2: Because we were trying. Well, we lost our composure and we were laughing uproariously, but he said. (laughs) He finally said, look at Washoe. He looks like a dog chasing a Frisbee. Oh, when, they, when they fake, When they pump fake. When they pump fake, like when you got a Frisbee on a dog on a beach, and you fake the Frisbee, <laughs> and then he takes off running. He said, look at Washwai. That's like, what he's doing. He's he like looks, my lab. Looks oh, wow. like somebody playing with the dog on the beach. How did they, with that Wonderful, defense. explosive offense that they end had. End up with that end defensive up with, secondary. End up with Wasos Rwonga
1: and was Robert Tate <laughs> Robert was on the, Tate, up, on the other end? Robert Tate, who converted
2: receiver with yeah. the cornerbacks.
1: Yeah. Wow. My goodness. Uh, Danny t-
2: did pretty good to get those mutts to this. <laughs>
1: that, fa- that far, final, yeah.
2: Now do you think about it, they were two-point <laughs> favorites in that game, by the way.
1: A uh, local kid with a golf tournament win. Game comes up like once every two weeks. <laughs> me me too. Plus
2: Angie Harmon was in the uh, Giants' victorious locker room. Oh. So I heard yeah, yeah, yeah. that too. She Perfect. was, she was prime time Angie then.
1: Mm-hmm. Troy Barrett, Spring Lake Park grad, uh, who's bounced around from tour to tour a bit in his career, he won. He uh, waited out a soggy day of weather delays yesterday at the Barbasol Championship in Kentucky. Came back to the course this morning, shot a 5-under 67 to win by one at 23-under.
2: Stansbury's in here. Are you going to have him on? Yes. Well, Uh, not this week. He's traveling, but I got, so I'm playing at a charity event and I text him, came across on the score. Mm -hmm. I go, congratulations, buddy. Happy for you. He replies in two minutes and I go, I'm at a charity Mm -hmm. event at Minnesota Valley. Chad Bischoff told me he Mm -hmm. used to tell you that he learned everything you know from him at Winona state. You know what his reply was? nobody passes out harder than Chad. <laughs> <laughs> this is an hour after he wins a PGA. All right. So
1: what the answer got? is yes. What you do, do you do
2: got yeah. real quick here, Johnny? Yep. We uh, we got uh, Bob Herring coming up. And uh, we got to get to
1: him. Let me just tell you a note from over the weekend, if you miss it. Haven't heard anybody on the station talk about it, but the Wild signed Matt Dumba. A oh, yeah. Five, oh, year, five right. year thirty 30 million. million dollar yeah, contract. Right.
2: And uh, Judd approves.
1: Yep. Right before the uh, two sides are scheduled to meet for arbitration.
2: Although, if they get off to a bad start next year, Judd will be saying, trade! Dumba. we got to tear this down and start all over again. That's right.
0: Always rebuilding. Right? <laughs> yes,
2: that's his, that's his t-shirt at the State Fair this year, Judd. <laughs> yeah. Always rebuilding, Judd. Uh, that's our guy. Alright, and thanks, Johnny, for not giving the Twins lineup because we want nothing to do with those mutts anymore. Alright, we uh, shall return. Bob Herig, uh from Scotland will be with us, the ESPN Golf Columnist. Harry, golf columnist for ESPN.com. That was an eventful uh, open championship, sir.
0: No doubt. Uh, it uh, had a little bit of everything. It had uh, big names and not so big names and uh, a really hard golf course and then uh, some weather and some unusual weather with warm weather. It was uh, It was a very interesting week.
2: Yeah, and finally the wind blew on Sunday. Uh, Carnoustie is not Carnoustie unless you get 20 miles an hour once in a while.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, I think all of these golf courses over here uh, for the open are are a little bit vulnerable if if the wind doesn't blow or if there's not some weather. And, and in the case of here, it had just been such a dry summer uh, that uh, the ball was going forever and it really made it play a lot shorter for these guys. If anything, you know, it brought in a different level of strategy. Uh, so, um, uh, still, though, it's, you know, I, I think Lynx golf is is just always, there's always a lot of intrigue with it, and uh, I think we saw it again.
2: Hey, Bob, uh, did they have to hit more long clubs on because of the wind on Sunday than the rest of the week? Because uh, I think one reason, I know Tiger did hit six drivers on Saturday, but uh, – the fact that he can hit irons off a lot of tees uh, helps him out a lot.
0: Yeah, it's, um, you know it, it's it's interesting how that it actually uh, some irons off the tees there on eleven and twelve hurt him, uh, but I'm not sure that that hitting a driver would have been a good play. <laughs> um, you know, uh, uh, there there were still a lot of holes on the final round where where they needed to be concerned about placing it and. And uh, you have to avoid those pot bunkers at all costs. And uh, unfortunately for him, you know, he just didn't execute uh, on, on one or two holes there, and that's all it took. But uh, uh, that's, that's how it is, you know. I, I mean, that's part of it for him at this point is, is putting it all together, you know, and, and keeping it together.
2: Uh, Francisco Molinari, where is this coming from, sir? He's been a good <laughs> good player, but my goodness. He's been great lately. Well, I
0: think um, uh, what happened was he, he, he found something with his putting. Uh, he's always been a great ball striker who's been an average to poor putter, uh, which, you know, I, I can't imagine how frustrating that must be uh, because all of us would, would love to be able to hit the ball, uh, and he can better than, you know, probably uh, – everybody but you know he's probably in the top two percent in the world in that but if you can't get it in the hole um you know uh the, the guys who don't hit it as well uh can can make up a lot of ground and but we've seen some amazing golf from him over the last couple of months i mean he won the he won the european tours uh bmw tournament which is sort of their equivalent to to the us pg players championship um then he was second at his home open, the Italian Open. Uh he won the quick and loans event D C three weeks ago by eight shots. And then and then when, when it was second at the John Deere last Sunday, flew overnight to uh to uh the UK and uh there he was uh winning the tournament uh you know six days later. So pretty amazing.
2: Uh, I I kind of liked him teeing off on Sunday. Just looking at the record and looking at the fact that he hits fairways, I, could, I thought it was him or Spieth. I'm shocked what happened to Spieth yesterday.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, he didn't make a birdie and he shot five over. <laughs> you know, um, it's uh, uh, you know, I, I I got I bet you there's a little little soul searching going on there. I mean, uh, the the winning score was was eight under par and, and Jordan started the day at nine under, you know, and, and, and so obviously you don't know what's going to happen, but, you know, if he could have shot one over par, he's, he's at least in a playoff. And, um, uh, you know, that's the interesting thing about all those guys on the leaderboard. I, I, I really think other than the ones who played early, uh, you know, Molinari's 69 was the best. Uh, most of them went North. Tiger shot even par, you know, so, um, and, uh, as it turned out, he would have needed to shoot three under, uh, that was a, that was a big ask yesterday to shoot three under, uh, in those conditions. And, uh, you know, but Molinari was the one who stepped up. I mean, he was, he was about as steady as could be to not make a bogey, uh, and to play with all the commotion around Tiger, just, uh, you know, really impressive.
2: Was he always the best of the Molinaries? His brother's a year older than him and is struggling now to make a cut on the European tour. Uh, Was he always the best of the two?
0: You know, no, I don't think so. I think Eduardo and him were sort of neck and neck there for a long time. and Eduardo's had a lot of injuries lately uh, and um, it really has set him back. Uh, You know, they've both played on Ryder Cup teams uh, and... uh, you know they've both won in Europe, but uh, uh, obviously Francisco has has sort of uh, you know inched ahead here with with winning a major, pretty pretty impressive.
2: Bob Herrig's with us, ESPN dot uh, com uh, golf columnist. Bob, did uh, Constantino Roca give uh, Molinari a call? Do we know? You know, I have not heard that yet. <laughs> I would think uh, so. I would think, that,
0: I would think that would be coming. You know. Uh, he, he was the first Italian to win a major. Obviously, Rokab came incredibly close uh, when he uh, uh, lost the 95 Open to John Daly in a playoff at St. Andrews, uh, where they're playing the Senior Open this week, by the way. So, um, uh, you know, they came that close. Obviously, it's you know, it's not a country that's big on golf. Uh, but... Uh, uh, you would think they'd be getting some attention or giving some attention to it right now.
2: I was following uh layman and Biasteris around at Oak Hill and Roka was in the hole in front of them. We were standing over there, in the green to see what, what miracle semi might have to stay in that match. And Roka knocked it in the hole. I remember on a, he made it a one there, I believe at that, at that, uh, at that, uh, Ryder cup on that, uh, Sunday singles. He's, uh, He seems like we've had him here a couple of times for our senior event. He's a, he's an affable chap. No
0: doubt. And he, um, you know, he has a little history with Tiger too. He, uh, he played the final round with Tiger when Tiger won his first masters in 97. And he also, uh, he also beat Tiger that year in singles at the Ryder cup, which the U S lost by a point. Uh, and Tiger's never lost in single since at the Ryder Cup. So, uh, you know, Constantino Roca has a little part in history there as well.
2: So, uh, what uh, I mean with the British Open like that is—is is that when the wind blows, is that the hardest of the of the Rota courses? Do you think? I think Carnoustie is the hardest
0: anyway. Mm. Um, it doesn't really need the wind to blow to be difficult um you know the the weather uh, you know we they they just had such an unusual summer over here uh both of the previous two opens it was much damper and colder the rough was thicker because it had grown yeah and uh uh, but you know again now the last time when Harrington won he beat Sergio in a playoff that their winning total was seven under this was eight under so even with a fast firm golf course, with virtually no rain during the tournament—I mean, there was on Friday, but it didn't really soften the course—and uh, and and, and a, a day of strong, one day of strong wind—they only bettered that score by one, and that was only one guy. You know, he won by two shots. So uh, it, I, I think Carnoustie holds up. Some of the other ones are, you know, St Andrews in particular. You know they're very, very close to the edge of of having a hard time of challenging the best in the world if there's not bad weather.
2: Uh, well, uh, the thing about it, though, just watching it on TV, is when they hit it in the fescue and the weeds, there uh, they could go in and find it. <laughs> now they were the fescue was so thin compared to what it normally is.
0: That's true. That's absolutely true. And uh, um, you know that's that made it a lot easier you know uh even though you know we saw with tiger now he got in that stuff yesterday and it turned the club over you know it's it's not a guarantee but but uh but but the ball was playable you know you could move it you could advance it that's not always the case
2: so what do you think uh what do you think of his game right now i i think he's one of the one of the fellas now i'm i'm not sure that i you know if he's in the if, same group with Zander Shaffly. I I don't think that the kids afraid of him like they used to be. But where do you think Tiger's game is?
0: No, they're they're not afraid of him. I mean, but he he's got a whole history of struggles here that they saw play out in front of him, and and so I I don't think that those days will ever return. I mean, uh, you know, I I think a guy now gets gets in contention and they, and he sees tiger up there. Well, it's just like anybody else who's playing well, you know, obviously he's there for a reason, but it's not like the old days when you just expected them to overwhelm you. Um, I actually thought this performance was, was one of the best of his career in a tournament that he did not win. Uh, I mean, when you consider everything that he went through and that a year ago, this time we had no idea what was going to be happening. You know, he hasn't played before the Masters this year. He had not played in the major in t- the past two years. He really didn't play very well in either of the first two majors. And with eight holes to go, he's leading. You know, um, it's, on, on a really demanding course with a lot of good players, Spieth and Rory and Justin Rose and uh, Kepka was up there for a little while. I mean, you know, good players were in the mix. And, um you know he i thought he held his own i obviously he didn't get it done he had a couple of rough holes but everybody had rough holes you know it's incredible to think that each of the three co-leaders going to the final round each made a double bogey uh yesterday Spieth, uh, schofflay and kevin kisner all made double bogeys within the first 7 holes of the of the final round you know so um i don't think there's any shame in tiger making a double bogey in the final round uh uh, it would have been interesting to see if he could have, if he could have turned that bogey into a birdie and been a little closer coming down the stretch.
2: We're heading into the great unknown here with the PGA Tour schedule uh, this year. Uh, we, we've changed a lot of things for 2019, obviously 2018, 19, but the 2018 schedule is the same, basically the same fall schedule. So the real change. Doesn't really come till 2019, 20 where the fall schedule is going to be what eight nine weeks, right?
0: That's true. I mean, the next year in the in the main part of the schedule, you'll start to see a lot of differences yes. in March, uh, and obviously now Minneapolis has an event in the summer, uh, and uh, I'm sure it'll be very very well supported, um, knowing that uh, they how much they love their golf there. Um, and, uh, you know, actually back to back weeks, Minneapolis and Detroit. Yes. Have new PGA Tour events. Uh, so, um, uh, and, and then, and then, you know, we, we quickly go from, from that to the Open to then the FedEx Cup playoffs. And, you know, basically at the end of, of August next year, the season's over. But as you noted, they're going to just play more events in the fall. They're going to probably start up in mid September right away and you'll have eight, seven, eight, nine events in the fall that will count for the next season. And, uh, you know, if a guy decides to skip all that time, he could find himself pretty far behind when January rolls around.
2: Hey, Bob, do you think that uh, the fact the FedEx Cup is coming up so soon uh, next year compared to normal at the first week of July that uh, the uh, Twin Cities might have a chance to get a better field? With the FedEx being yeah, closer, I,
0: I think that it's something that they're going to have to take, keep in mind. You know, by the time by the time uh, the Minneapolis event comes around, three of the majors will have been played. Um, three of the World Golf Events will have been played. So your only chance then after that is is the Open and and the FedEx event that's in Memphis. And if you're not qualified, or if you're behind, you know you, you're going to need you're going to need more tournaments. You know, I mean, it's it's basically uh, three weeks after the Open next year the playoffs begin. Uh, so, uh, and 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 that's uh, you know, it's it's important if you're one of the top guys and you want to make it all the way. And now, and and also, there's only going to be three events. Yeah. So, like making it to the Tour Championship, you don't have as much time to make up the ground. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. But, uh, you know, I think for the most part, what they've done is good.
2: Yep. I agree with you, Bob. Hey, thanks for your time, sir. And uh, we'll talk to you before the summer's over. Thanks. Sounds great. Thank you. All right. Bob Harry, uh, 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 golf columnist for ESPN.com. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was a cell phone connection from Scotland which is better than the famous Ricey cell
1: phones connection from Scotland in 2002. So we've improved.